Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. A very good afternoon to you and welcome. Wonderful to be in your company this afternoon. A, another beautiful day here on the High Felt here in Joburg and of course, middle of January and uh, everybody back to work and back to school and things supposedly getting back to what we term in inverted commas normal. Uh, but uh, one often has to question if that is normal at all. And perhaps from a Jewish point of view, we need to perhaps spend a little bit of time, if we haven't already, exploring how we're going to make this year, 2020, how we're going to make this year a little bit better for ourselves, for our families, for everything around us. And perhaps today, focus of today's Judaism 101.9 is the idea of the environment. The idea of the environment and the idea that the environment can play in our adherence to Judaism, in our Torah, in our mitzvot, and in general life. What is the Torah's view of environment? Um, are we to put up the shades and block out everything from around us? Or are there some secrets to success in any kind of an environment that we um, can institute, that we can employ, and that we ourselves can actually do to create that environment if that environment doesn't already exist. I would like to reflect back because I think that everything that we say on Judaism 101.9, I would like to think is seated in and rooted in Torah, and that we look back into the Torah for some inspiration and not looking beyond some very, very important stories and some very important characters that play a huge role in teaching us um, behaviors, in teaching us attitudes, and in teaching us environmental stuff that we actually need to know about. And no, I'm not talking about the uh, change in the ozone layer or the fact that the ice caps are melting. I'm not talking about that kind of environmental change, but I'm talking about a spiritual environmental change, a Jewish environmental change, or a Jewish envir environment that needs to be adhered to and that needs to be abided by and that needs to be lived in in order to make our lives not only more meaningful but more successful and, in fact, to help our world per se. So let's perhaps reflect a little bit on some things that, of course, Time would have it um, are presenting themselves in the parishes of the week that we are reading round about now. And as we know, going as we do this week into a brand new book in the Torah, the book of Exodus, the book of Shemot, um, which aptly is named the book of names rather than the book of Exodus in Hebrew. It's not all about Exodus, but rather about names. And that in itself is a reflection of um, what we as Jews should think about and should turn to, and that is that, as, as our sages tell us, it was the adherence to our Jewish names, the fact that we kept our Jewish heritage, the fact that we uh, wanted to remind ourselves on a <coughs> regular basis of who we are and what we are, and that it was our Jewish heritage that came first, that was perhaps the reason for the fact that there could be an exodus in the first place. The fact that we warranted it by sticking to our spiritual guns, no matter whether it was good or bad times, and there were plenty of those in Egypt. So, in Egypt, we actually have 
a number of very, very important images that come through that are more familiar to us than perhaps we would even dare to think about. One of them is that on a Friday night, as well as on a time of a child's bris, as well as many other occasions in uh, Jewish thinking and teaching, we bless our children that they should be uh, boys, that they should be like Ephraim and Manasseh. And, of course, the question is often asked, why do we choose Ephraim and Manasseh? Why do we not bless our children that they should be like Moshe? Why do we not bless our children that they should be like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That, of course, would keep in line with the ladies' blessing, which is that for girls we bless them that they should be like our mothers, Sora, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. Why do we bless our sons that they should be like Ephraim and Manasseh? And, of course, our various different commentators, Midrash and so on, tells us a number of fascinating and beautiful reasons. And that was Ephraim and Manasseh were in a very, very trying kind of an environment. Their environment was not only trying and difficult because it was foreign and because it, after all, Ephraim and Manasseh were born into Egypt. It was um, secular. It was um, not uh, one of persecution, which unfortunately Jews have known on and off for uh, centuries and centuries. It wasn't that at all, but rather perhaps it was the environment that became theirs as in they were really part of the royal family and part of the upper echelon of society in their environment. Their environment that they were born into was one as the children of the viceroy of Egypt. Of uh, Could you imagine the prime minister or the president of the country and you were the children? Well, there were many, many Challenges, I guess, for that, but there were many privileges, privileges of wealth and privileges of station and privileges of the homes that they lived in, obviously, and must have been palatial privileges of everything that one could think of they would have had. You would imagine that um, they could have chosen whoever they wanted as their brides to be. You know, we always marvel and think about, and of course, it's very topical, the people that people in royal families marry and how perhaps things don't quite work out exactly the way that they had planned along the way. But Ephraim and Manasseh were in that position. They literally probably could have selected anybody. And yet they grew up in Yosef's home, in the home of their father, and their environment was one outwardly that was spiritually hostile. It was uh, Egypt of hostility. It was an Egypt of immorality. It was an Egypt of the lowest kind of uh, moral and ethical value, and certainly from a Jewish point of view, certainly a godless place, a place of idol worship, etc. They were taught and they knew what was right and what was correct. They stuck to their spiritual guns. They took the values that their father instituted um, or integrated and inculcated into them. They kept them. They kept to them. They remained steadfast in their commitment to their Judaism. And out of that environment, they came out the wonderful, beautiful Jewish boys that uh, Jacob, their grandfather, could only marvel at, that in that environment and out of that environment, these two great people had uh, 
had turned out. And he gave them the blessing. And the blessing was that in the future, everybody will bless their children that they should be just like you. Everybody will bless their children that they should be like Ephraim and Manasseh. They should be like these two incredible individuals. And why? Because they overcame environment. They stood up to environment. They challenged environment. And they became and realized that within that environment, there was a job that they had to do. There was something that they had to stick to. And it was all about their Torah, their mitzvot, their adherence to the principles that their father had learnt and that their father taught them um, through thick and thin, no matter whether the challenges were challenges of hostility, challenges of immorality, or challenges of wealth. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Before Jacob is prepared to take his family and move down to Egypt, go literally into the diaspora um, from the holy land that he is living in, he does something very interesting for his environment. And that is that he sends his son, Yehuda, and he tells him to go to Joseph. And the expression of the Torah is he sends him to go to Joseph to give instructions for Goshen. What does it mean to give instructions for Goshen? They were going to settle in the place called Goshen in Egypt, Goshen. And he tells Yehuda, he sends him, that he should go to Joseph and give instructions for that place. The Midrash tells us that a famous sage, Rabbi Nehemiah, said it was in order to establish a house of study so that Torah would be there and the tribes would study Torah. It's a fascinating, fascinating comment. It means... That what Rabbi Nehemiah is telling us, what the Midrash is pointing out, is that Joseph wouldn't go to the place unless there was an established yeshiva, unless there was a place of learning, an environment of learning so that the tribes, as they grew there and as they flourished there and they blossomed there, could study Torah. It wasn't good enough that he was coming to Egypt as the place where there was food and where there was abundance and where there was the ability to survive the drought that Joseph had, of course, predicted and that Pharaoh had dreamed about, that it wasn't just about the physical sustenance. It wasn't just about earning the living. But the most important thing he needed to take care of before they got there was to ensure that there was a place of learning, to ensure that there was an ability to study, that there was some kind of a principle that was created in the environment to make that environment one that was conducive to Jews to be able to settle there, people to be able to flourish there, and, of course, to always remember that it is God who provides and not Pharaoh that it is the Torah that is our salvation and not the uh, literature or the, or, the, or the ways of the world, that it is our mitzvot and our Torah and the adherence to it that is really the success of our people, whether it is in the simple things like earning a living, which may not be that simple, or it is like flourishing, rising to the, to the top, <coughs> um, creating the kind of environment and the kind of society that um, we would enjoy living in. And so there is a very, very powerful message about the pre-arrival um, of uh, the Jewish people in the land of Egypt. And that was that Jacob wanted to ensure 
that there were institutions, that there were, it was Torah learning, that there were schools, that there was an education system, and that there was an environment that he felt comfortable bringing, bringing his people into. Now we actually have here, if you think about it, two different examples of, um, environment and how the environment impacts and how the environment is treated. First of all, when we think about, as we mentioned before the break, um, Ephraim and Manasseh, we think about Joseph's life. Joseph was thrust into Egypt, uh, not out of choice. He had a very, very torrid and difficult time in getting to where he wanted to get, but he managed to raise within that environment a family who were adherents to Torah and mitzvot, to Judaism, in a way that uh, nobody could ever have imagined or expected of them. Um, and then Jacob making sure that he plants the seeds of growth within the environment, that he takes Torah and makes it readily available in the environment before his people arrive there, two slightly different takes on the same point. And that is, number one, major overriding issue, that in the environment there needs to be Torah, there needs to be kindness, there needs to be goodness, there needs to be um, Torah principles, and there needs to be Torah learning. That has to be. And you may be questioning, hey, one second, what about um, the fact that the Torah was only given to the Jewish people much later at Mount Sinai? Well, no, we know from um, all our literature the fact that our forefathers studied Torah even before it was given. It wasn't just um, something that was invented, so to speak, at Mount Sinai. It pre-existed the creation of the world. Our forefathers and the generations before had access to it, and there was Torah learning, there was study. And it's repeated in our liturgy and in our teachings and in our uh, um, uh, heritage time and time and time again about the forefathers studying the Torah that they had then. It was only given in a formal setting um, at Mount Sinai. But nevertheless, there was the idea of having a moral code, an ethical code, a spiritual constitution, something that needed to be adhered to and to be followed for the success of the society that they were going into, the society that they were creating. Now, very often when we as Jews look around us, we uh, perhaps don't give enough credit and think enough about the environment. So we perhaps, for example, will be making a choice of uh, where we're going to live, um, thinking about perhaps in uh, South Africa, in Johannesburg, uh, buying ourselves a home or moving to an area. And um, we may make the decisions based on all sorts of personal reasons which may be very valid and very true and very good. Uh, we need to be close to the place where we work. We need to be close to the school that our kids go to. We need to be close perhaps to a transportation system, which uh, may not be a Johannesburg argument, but we need to be close so that it's not uh, taking hours to drive every day. Or we may need to be close to our gym, or we may need to be close to all sorts of um, amenities that we regard as being of paramount importance. And perhaps what we need to learn from Ephraim and Manasseh and Jacob, our forefather, and our forefathers going down to Egypt before we ever thought of getting out of there, that we need to make sure that our choices are first and foremost made on where is the Judaism going to come from, the shul, a, a community, um, a school, a Torah school, 
um, an ability to study, an ability to have shiurim, an ability to have um, Jewish thinking and Jewish learning and like-minded people who are keeping Shabbat, kosher stores, etc. A Jewish infrastructure is something that we need to have at the top of our agenda before we make such decisions. And we also think about people perhaps who have toyed with the idea of leaving South Africa, of living elsewhere. And once again, no matter which country you go to, this has to be first and foremost on the agenda. Where are we going to be able to find a Jewish environment that, and I venture to say, that not only matches what we have here in Joburg, but what we are, we, we're going to need to up the ante a little bit. We need to make it even better. And that's a hard ask. It's not that easy to find a community anywhere in the world that has the kind of offering that the South African Jewish community has as a whole and that the Johannesburg Jewish community has um, as a, a particular. It is an incredibly powerful, powerful um, and important message for each and every one of us to contemplate and to think about is the advantage of living in Joburg today where we have all of uh, what we require from a Jewish point of view. Yes, of course, other than Israel and, of course, other than Mashiach. Of course, uh, we are not in a utopia. Nobody is saying that at all, but we are certainly way, way ahead of the game when it comes to our availability of kashrut, our availability of mikvahs and shuls and schools and uh, shiurim classes, rabbis, rabbitsons, teachers, um, incredibly, incredibly powerful, powerful reasons for us to reconsider perhaps um, thinking about going elsewhere where those things may not exist. And we, it, we, 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 have a, we have to heed a very, very important warning. And the important warning is from <clears throat> Ephraim and Manasseh, who had the power of their father, who was this great uh, tzaddik, this great righteous man and righteous teacher, who was able to institute and place into their home and into their environment a powerful, strong message of adherence to Torah and mitzvot, of adherence to his moral and ethical code that they could adhere to and then come out and flourish. And then Jacob, who perhaps realized that his uh, tribe was a lot bigger, his people um, were going to grow a lot vaster than just Joseph's small and immediate family, and he need to, needed to ensure that there was a structure, that there was a system, that perhaps when there was a parent who wasn't able to uh, impart Torah knowledge to his or perhaps to her children, <coughs> the um, ability was there for them to have the yeshiva, the schools, the environment, the atmosphere that they could send their children to and that they could make sure that the continuity of Judaism our heritage, our growth, our real um, power and our real reason for being and for existing and for uh, doing whatever it is that we do was there ready and available to all of them um, in the land that they were going to. So perhaps the message is that each and every one of us has the ability to or we need to seek out that environment. And if we are thrust into an environment that is hostile to all of these things, um, we need to be the change. We need to be, as they say, we need to be the change. We need to be the 
the very environment itself, we need to create that environment. We need to muster up the strength within ourselves and realize that without this, we are nothing. Without our environment of um, Judaism, of Torah, of our mitzvot and the ability to uh, perform them, to do them, to keep them, and <coughs> to see to their growth and their sustenance, we are really nowhere. We are really nothing. We will fade away, we'll assimilate, we'll be gone before uh, we can even imagine that it ever happened. So either we need to choose our environment very carefully, making sure that it is one within which we can flourish and grow. And if it is not one like that, that's also not a non-starter. We have to make that environment. We have to be the environment. We have to make the change. I don't think there is anybody in the world who did this with his followers more powerfully than the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who sent people to uh, the furthest corners of the world where there was no environment to speak of, but they he appointed as the Yehudas, perhaps, of the generation, to go to far-flung places, to um, deserts from a spiritual point of view, to islands from a spiritual point of view. He sent them to these places uh, with the instruction of you're going there to create an environment. You make the environment. You be the Yehuda. You be the pioneer. Go there and bring the Torah to that environment, to that place, so that other Jews who come there will be able to flourish, will be able to um, imbibe the uh, incredible atmosphere that you've created. And if you think about around the world, the far-flung places where Chabad emissaries, Chabad shluchim have been sent, if you think about places like uh, Kathmandu and you think about places like Thailand and you think about uh, places like the um, Caribbean islands, no matter where it is, um, places that uh, you and I probably haven't even heard of, never mind been to or visited, uh, whether it's Ho Chi Minh City or any of the above. It is an incredibly, incredibly powerful and important message for each and every, every one of us to understand and to know that these were the Yehudas. They were going to these environments, Lahodas. They were going there to give instructions, to make um, an environment that would enable people to be able to come there. And think about how many times it has happened um, that Jews have been stranded, have been lost, have been stuck, have been um, in a uh, hostile environment of their own. And just because they happen to be a Chabad emissary there, just because they happen to be a Chabad house, just because they happen to be some kind of an environment that was created with warmth, with love, with Torah, with mitzvot. So the success of uh, that difficult um, or the outcome of that uh, difficulty was one that was beautiful and wonderful and something that we could literally write home about and continue to talk about. So go to the good environment. And if there isn't the good environment, you are obligated from a Jewish point of view to create it. Make that good environment. Institute Torah and Mitzvot in your environment. Bring it to the fore. Bring it out. Get the... Um, Everybody on board and make sure that it happens. This is what we're truly charged with and for from Ephraim, Menasha and Jacob. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. 
one other point that we would like that I would like to add on the idea of environment and in choosing the right environment and in making sure that the environment is correct and thinking about the points that we have made about the environment needing to contain Torah, the environment needing to contain a practice of mitzvot, a love, a care, an affection, and so on. It's particularly pertinent, I guess, as uh, we have just sent children back to school, and perhaps we sometimes use the wrong yardstick in choosing where it is actually that we're going to send our kids to school. Um, sometimes choices by parents and children, and sometimes the children influence the parents and sometimes the parents influence the children, is to choose an environment where uh, perhaps the sport is the best or perhaps we focus um, on uh, the best scientific education or perhaps the best education when it comes to um, scoring well in uh, matric Um, or perhaps we think about environment um, as being the best place that we as the parents will feel the most comfortable. How am I going to feel in taking my child to that kind of a school? Uh, sometimes plays heavily on people's decisions or sometimes it's even based on friends. Sometimes people choose schools because of areas and sometimes people choose schools to send their children to because of convenience, because it happens to be the closest school or it happens to be the the uh, one <coughs> that is the most socially acceptable and all sorts of uh, things that come to play um, come into play are uh, utilized in the making of these interesting and fascinating decisions that people do make um, as to where they're going to choose to send their kids to school. And I'd like, if possible, to invite you to reconsider um, the program or the thought process of why and where it is that you send your child to school. Think about the environment. Is it an environment that is warm? Is it an environment that is caring? Is it an environment that has real, uh, sincere Torah teachers? Is it an environment that um, will help your kids to be uh, Practicing their mitzvot and doing them, is it an environment that will be positive in that regard? Those are um, or should be uppermost in the minds of parents sending their children to school or perhaps choosing um, whether their children should continue in a place in a school. Please don't make the decision of uh, taking your child out of a school just because it is you personally as a parent who doesn't feel maybe that comfortable in the environment because perhaps the people who go there don't dress like you and they don't behave like you and you seem to have this um, idea that perhaps they are more religious than you or that perhaps they're less than religious than you. Think about the correct and right environment for your child. And in truth, uh, one environment doesn't always suit everybody. That is quite um, valid and quite true. But let's not make the mistake of making the decisions of environment based just on the fact that there may be food in Egypt, just on the fact that it may be the flesh pots of Egypt that we're going to, or just on the fact that it may be socially more acceptable or that the sport 
may be better in a particular environment. Let's ensure that our choices are made for good Jewish reasons and based on good Jewish principles. And then we'll know that we're making these decisions correctly. Back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Today's message of Judaism 101.9 and not as the intro says, Judaism 101. This is Judaism 101.9. If we think about, and it's very important that point nine, you could tune into the wrong station. We need to make sure that from a Jewish point of view, we don't tune in to the wrong values, to the wrong um, atmosphere and the wrong attitude. We need to ensure that we have an environment and an atmosphere that is right and that is correct. And today's Judaism 101.9 lesson is let's make sure that we have our priorities correct. That if there is Torah, if there are mitzvot, if there is an environment of goodness and of kindness, if there is an atmosphere of love, of care, and of a, a, a an environment within which you, your children, your family can grow, then you are basing your decision of that environment, of that community, of that place, of that uh, community. You're basing it all on good and correct principles and good and correct Torah thought. If it's going to be an environment that you choose for reasons of uh, for economic reasons or it's going to be an environment that you choose purely because of social reasons or because perceived social reasons or because it happens to be uh, the right kind of um, uh, sort of address that you need to be in in order to rub shoulders with uh, the neighbors on either side. You're making a mistake, unfortunately, from a Jewish point of view. Let's take a message out of the books of Ephraim, out of Manasseh, out of the book of Jacob, our forefather, and ensure that we do things correctly. We create the environment if it doesn't exist, and we make sure that our focus is always on the things that are going to make the difference between a people who will survive and a people, God forbid, who won't, a people who will have lives that are meaningful and a people who won't or a people who will make a difference to our world or, God forbid, the opposite. Look forward to being back with you again, same time, same place, next week. And I wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead. Take care and see you soon.